Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 698th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who's creating a hopeful future through how we manage our water. We have returning guest Andrew Millison about a permaculture water summit. Andrew Millison is an innovator educator, storyteller, and designer. He founded the Permaculture Design Education Program at Oregon State University in 2009. Andrew serves as an educational director and senior instructor who offers 25 years experience and a playful approach to regenerative design. In October 2022, just a couple of weeks after the release of this podcast, Andrew is hosting a three-day Permaculture Water Summit, a free global summit created to share viable solutions for the water crisis found throughout the planet. Andrew, our audience got to meet you back in 2016 for our podcast episode 158, where we talked about scaling up permaculture. Welcome back to the show today. Are you ready to rock? Rock on. All right. Awesome. (laughs) So what have you been up to since we chatted last? Oh, man, I've been real busy here in Corvallis, Oregon, between a number of different things. I mean, I'm an instructor at Oregon State University, and so I have, I teach permaculture at OSU, and I also have a whole online program that, since the pandemic, has been just, like, really, really well attended, and we've done lots of great developments, and I have lots of excellent people I'm working with on that. I really have been focusing a lot of time on media development. So I have a YouTube channel that I've been putting a lot of work on doing like really, you know, professional, really well filmed, good videography and narration and animations and all these things to try to bring this message out to a wider audience. And I feel like it's been pretty successful. I've had a really great deal of feedback and, you know, viewership and stuff on my, on my work. It's allowed me to do a lot of travels. I've done a lot of travels around the world since then, documenting some of the most epic permaculture projects and water resilience projects in the world. Got to go to India, Mexico, Egypt, all over the U.S. and getting ready in a couple of days to go to Hawaii 
to oh, nice. film the uh, sovereign indigenous nation of Hawaii who is working to restore their ahupua'a, which is the traditional watershed scale agricultural system there. Wow, how cool yeah. is that? Yeah, super stoked to go and check out the ahupua'a, which is something that I've heard about for many, many years. And so fascinated to get into the details of these projects and see how we can share this information so people can learn from some of the most successful work in the world as far as permaculture, regenerative agriculture. Well, and one of, one of the big challenges we have in the world, all over the world right now is water. Yeah. And that's one of the things you've really been bringing home in your, on your YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, I know you've done a lot around water and what was one of the most exciting ones that you did? Well, we went to the Chinampas in Mexico City, which oh, is really, the, yeah. And I mean, that's, that's actually, I feel like that's the best video I've produced yet as well. Cause I did it with Oregon state university production. So I had some of their, you know, so they did the filming and editing, which they're just better than me. And so, um, we went to Mexico City and to, you know, the, the last vestiges of the Aztec Empire, which is this kind of water-based maze of peninsulas and islands, which make up the Chinampas, which was the old, the food production system for the Valley of Mexico, the Mexico City Basin. And it was just absolutely fascinating to go and spend some time and really tour in depth this ancient system that is still functioning today that, that possibly is the most productive agricultural system in history. Wow. Yeah. And th those are the floating islands, right? Yeah. I mean, they're not actually floating, but they kind of start out as floating in a way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they basically took this shallow lake bed and built up these islands over a very vast area to feed a very large population. You know, so it's like these canals going between these agricultural peninsulas, agricultural fields that are just above the canal surface. And, you know, they scoop out the muck from the bottom of the canal to restore, to constantly renew the fertility. Of oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Yeah. So, so basically they're saying like, they still have a thousand years of fertility left in this system wow. just from where they started. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. How fun is that? Oh, so fun. And the reason we're here to today is to talk yeah. about an upcoming summit that you have about water. Yeah. Why are you doing a sum summit on water? Yeah, I just feel like this is, I mean, in, in the permaculture design system, water is the water is the first place that you really interface and you build your design around. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got climate, we've got the landform, that's kind of your conditions, your situation, but water is the first place that we design for. And then all the other pieces of the design are built on top of the, the water infrastructure in, in really in any climate. Mm -hmm. So the water is the bones of the design. So that's really where it all starts. And, you know, as we see around the world, I mean, you know, I didn't plan this water summit. I mean, I planned this water summit a while ago, but I mean, we've got rivers drying up. I'm, I'm looking at the news all over Europe and China, like yep. the Yangtze River dried up. Dried it's up. like, I mean, it's, it's really, we're getting to a critical point. We're at a critical point here in both the drought side and the flood side, you know, and the the extremes of climate as they're manifest in water is like it's, you know, we need water management immediately. And water management is something that can be done immediately by anybody in the lands that they are stewarding. Yeah. So the idea with the summit was, hey, let's get, you know, some of the most 
knowledgeable people in the world to share their information for free, right? And there's no paywall. The information will actually live on the internet. So even if you're even if you're listening to this podcast past the water summit, the information's still out there. We're not going to put it behind a paywall. This is all sponsored by my program through Oregon State University. Yay. And the mission, yeah. And the mission is to get the information out there to as wide of an audience as we possibly can. And we've got some of, you know, in the permaculture world, and we've got Jeff Lawton, Natalie Topa, Darren Doherty, Ramis Kent. Neil Spackman, Penny Livingston, all kinds of people. And we have other people from around the world that you may not have heard of in the US. We've got mm-hmm. some people from India, Gurudas Nulkar, from Hawaii, from the project that I'm going to go visit there. We've got Brandon Makaawaawa. We've got this woman, Elhamabadi from Jordan. So, wow. you know, we're trying to mix it up and give somewhat of a global perspective to this work, right? To this, and let's, to you, you call it work, I'll call it a problem. Yeah, <laughs> problem. But I mean, the people that we're bringing in are doing the work. The work, yes, the work. exactly. Yeah. So yeah. So you know, I mean, really, we just I did a free class back in 2016, a massive open online course, mm-hmm. and we had about 45,000 people sign up over the couple of years that we offered that class. Wow. And so I really believe strongly in that at this point money cannot be a limiting factor to the dissemination of the vital information that we have. And so this is just an attempt to just put it out there. So people who need the information, you know, can get it and are not bound by their economic conditions, basically. Well, I, I have said for years, the most important thing we can be doing right now is learning where our food comes from and learning how to grow our own. And what people don't realize is the massive impact that these water shortages are going to have on our food system. Yeah. Can you speak to that? Well, yeah. I mean, we're at a point, I mean, there's a lot of factors lining up, right? One being the war in Ukraine in, Mm. you know, Ukraine's the number four wheat exporter and Russia's number one or two or somewhere up there as well. So, I mean, that in itself is a hit to the global Huge. food supply. Yeah. Huge. And, you know, I just spent time in Egypt last year, which is the number one wheat importer on the planet, right? But it's not just that they're feeding their population. Egypt is importing wheat and then distributing that wheat down south, you know, into the Horn of Africa. Oh, so wow. places that are at risk already, that are were already marginal before just the war alone, mm-hmm are, you know, suffering starvation. And, you know, part of that is because we have this massive system that is globalization, basically, where people stopped producing food or populations in different areas grew beyond what could be sustained by that land. And now so many people are reliant on the, you know, mass shipping and, you know, international shipment of goods that we're suddenly finding ourselves in a real point of great, of grave danger for many people. And, you know, then factor in climate change, then factor in the crop failures that we're seeing from water shortages in some of the most important agricultural areas of the world, like France, for instance, you know, I mean, a lot of these places, I was looking at some articles where, you know, there's a lot of places that like are having like just crop loss, like 90% crop loss. I mean, you know, so I'm scared about the world in the next six months and food supply and the ability of globalization to continue to move 
mass commodities around. You know, it's it's very scary. Yeah. Yeah. When, and we have some pretty big droughts going on in the country for food in Southern California. Uh, you know, a lot of our winter food comes out of Southern California and Southern Arizona. Yeah. And then we have droughts where they run cattle. And apparently there's a big sell-off going on right now with cattle. And, you know, it's expected within three years, there's going to be a massive beef shortage. Now, I don't eat beef. Mm. Uh, just because it doesn't agree with me mostly. But that is a huge problem in our food system connected with water. Yeah. And I mean, talk about Southern Arizona. I just was hearing the whole story about how a lot of that water is actually being exported in the form of alfalfa alfalfa going to Saudi Arabia. Yep. That is a huge thing going on right now. And I'll tell you, if I still lived in Arizona, I'd be screaming big about that. Yeah. So, you know, but that's, I mean, basically that's what globalization has done in a sense. We're like, oh, like Saudi Arabia can outsource their alfalfa production for their horses mm-hmm. to Southern Arizona without regard to the aquifer. Now, interestingly, as far as on the, on the work side, the solution side, there was a great proposal by Neil Spackman and my friend Lauren Leyendijk, who I heard talking about this, to um, start to interplant mulberry into those systems, mulberry is incredibly high protein. I mean, not like alfalfa, but it's an incredibly high protein fodder that uses considerably less water than the alfalfa. So the idea was if you could actually interplant the mulberry into that alfalfa system, over time, the mulberry canopy expands. As you run out of water, you reduce your water and then you're watering the mulberry, which is, you know, significantly less and the roots are developing and, you know, it's a very drought hardy tree. And so over time, you still, those fields are not destroyed by mm-hmm. destroying the aquifer, but you're just, you have a less protein you're producing for fodder, but you're still essentially producing a high quality fodder, you know, export, but you could, you could export or use locally. Wow. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that, that we could be doing. That's not even that complicated. And these are the kinds of things you're going to be talking about in the summit. Tell me about the summit. Yeah. Well, so far, well, I'm working with Raleigh Latham, who he uh, he does a lot of permaculture media work and um, works a lot for Zach Weiss, who Elemental Ecosystems, who's one of the speakers in the conference. And so Raleigh's doing a lot of interviews, but I did an interview with Raleigh with Ramis Kent the other day. And Ramis is, he's actually back in the US. He works mostly in the Middle East and North Africa, mm-hmm. right? Ramis is a Muslim and we spoke a lot about his work around water and around permaculture in some of the most hardest hit places in the world, like Somalia, Yemen. And he spoke about how he works with people on the ground and how he actually brings his faith into the permaculture conversation. It was very fascinating. It really expanded my mind. Yeah. And also we're talking about some of the like large scale, you know, you almost might think of it like geoengineering, but Mm -hmm. in a good way. Yeah. Right. Like he was (laughs) talking about some of the plans he's been involved in to re-green the Sinai desert by. Oh, I've heard about this. Yeah. And, you know, and a lot of this stuff is like, it's like looking at macro weather patterns and you're like, okay, you know, if we could reforest the mountain slopes that are facing the Mediterranean by, by scooping out this old lake bed and taking the lake, this old ancient lake soil and 
putting it on the side of this mountain to grow trees. And mm-hmm. if you could establish trees on the Mediterranean side of the peninsula, Sinai Peninsula, that those trees will put up, you know, small particulates into the air that actually would become the nuclei for raindrops and that you would actually increase rainfall and bring rainfall into the interior of the Sinai Peninsula. Wow. So yeah, these macro, like macro, like sort of permaculture geoengineering type of projects are like, those are the things that kind of blow my mind because these are the kind of things that we could do if we decided as a civilization or like if we even were one civilization, but if we decided as a, you know, as a species, like mm-hmm. how are we going to repair the planet on a large scale, right? So, I mean, that's, that, you know, there's one thing and I'm, uh, we, you know, we still, we're, we're doing, we're, we're pre-recording a lot of these presentations because I've been to a lot of live, you know, online summits where like someone's tech goes out yeah, and it's just so disappointing. And it's such a bummer, both for the presenter and all the viewers that we just wanted to avoid tech challenges. So we're like pre-recording the interviews and then the people will come on for a Q&A if they can, basically. So anyway, we're still in the process of recording these. But when I look at the lineup of people that we are recording, it's like, it's, I mean, honestly, it's pretty spectacular. I read it again because you, some yeah. of those names are just, I mean, like, these are, these are right. Yeah, I'll just go down the list of the people that are on our website. We still have other people that are still confirming. So this is, we're, we're going to have about, about 20 to 25 speakers. So it's going to wow. be like, we're not going to do the thing where you have multiple, you have to make choices between different people. We're just going to have, you know, good say, seven or eight speakers a day. Each mm-hmm. person speaks for an hour. So we fill the whole day and we have a, a you know, a high quality presentation there and you don't have to make any choices you can just listen and then of course it's all going to be available later so so far we have jeff lawton natalie topa darren doherty who is darren doherty's like he's the guy with this stuff yeah i mean he's my mentor he is the top key line emissary on the planet yeah um and i've taken a number of workshops with him El Hamabadi, I interviewed her on my podcast. She is uh, doing a whole community scale water harvesting permaculture project up in the highlands of Jordan, which is the most insecure, water insecure nation on the planet. Wow. Ramis, who I talked about, myself. Neil Spackman, who has a company now that is looking to plant, is it like a billion mangroves? 300 million mangroves? I don't know. He wants to basically mangrove the tropical coastal regions of the planet to establish aquatic oceanic based production mm-hmm. systems. Neil is very well known for his work in Saudi Arabia on the Albaida project, where he showed that you could actually create a whole productive agroforestry system on two inches of rainfall per year. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. We have Minnie Jane and she is a, um, an Indian activist, water activist. We have Penny Livingston Stark. Penny is a well-known permaculture practitioner in the United States. She's been teaching permaculture out here and all over the world for many, many years. She's one of the elders of our community. We have Brandon Maka'awa'awa. Like I said, the Ahupua'a project that I am going to visit, just leaving in a couple of days. He's the vice president of the sovereign indigenous independent nation of Hawaii. Oh, wow. So this is the only land that has ever been given to the indigenous people of Hawaii by the government. So there's no reservations or like, you know, in, you know, indigenous tribes in the United States have sovereign lands. This is the only land, only because they had a multi-year protest on a popular tourist beach with right. hundreds of people camped out. And finally the government said, okay, here, take this 45 acres up back up against the mountains. 
right? That's it, 45 acres. 45 acres, but wow. but one of the reasons I'm going is to sort of help to brainstorm and create some media around actually being able to expand and restore their traditional ahupua'a, which is the watershed scale system. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what we're going to be looking at. So anyway, we're really blessed to have Brandon coming to the summit because he's he's right in there with the indigenous sovereignty movement. We have Zach Weiss, Elemental Ecosystem. Zach Weiss is, he's like the protege of Sepp Holzer, mm. basically. So he studied a lot with Sepp and then he in, goes around and installs projects in the, the Sepp teaching. And I think Sepp probably sends him a lot of projects as well all over the world. Zach's, he's, yeah, he's incredibly accomplished and he's a young guy. And so he's like, I, I love talking to Zach and he's got a really, some really big projects in my neighborhood in Oregon. And one of the, um, Brenda Smolafoti, who is another speaker, is actually one of the people who is working with Zach and installing large scale water harvesting projects wow. on her property. So she's an artist, farmer, rancher, owner of Tabula Rasa Farms. We have Guru Das Nolker, and he is the head of the Symbiosis Center for, Symbiosis Center for Climate Change and Sustainability. So he is a in, incredibly well-studied and accomplished Indian environmentalist and speaker about water. We have Ray Archuleta, who is a soil scientist, and he's going to talk a lot about soil and its impact on water harvesting. It's huge. Yeah, huge. huge. Do you know Ray? I don't, but okay. getting soil yeah. to hold water and getting soil alive is in big part one of the big solutions, I think, to this mess, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, basically, if we had more organic matter in the soils of the world, even just the agricultural soils of the world, if we could increase the organic matter content of the agricultural soils, first off, we would sequester massive amounts of carbon. I can't remember the numbers anymore. It's it's like mind-blowing how much yeah. carbon we can store in soil by improving the quality of soil. And then the, the water holding capacity of soil. I mean, as far as arresting climate change mm -hmm. and stabilizing the climate, increasing the soil organic matter of our agricultural lands. If there was a silver bullet that was like easily achievable on a mass scale, given the tools that we already have, it would be, that would be it. That would be the silver bullet of yep. reducing carbon in the atmosphere is yeah. increasing carbon in soils. In reducing, soils. Right. Reducing carbon and holding water. And holding water. I mean, yeah. there you go. Like, you know, and then there's lots of other things. And then let's add trees, you know, <laughs> I mean, then there's other layers. Right. Add. But, I mean, if you were looking for a silver bullet, there's my silver bullet for you. And then the last person that we have so far confirmed on the website is John D. Liu, who mm. is, he is a filmmaker. He's made some really famous films about water projects on the Los Plateau in China. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he's very well known for, it's one of the largest land restoration projects, you know, in modern history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he's going to be talking and I've seen John talk a lot and he talks, he, he's, he created the ecosystem restoration camps. So oh, the wow. ecosystem restoration, I don't know if you heard of that. It's like a movement to create these camps where there's a piece of land that is being restored and people can come and they can camp out there and help with the restoration. Mm -hmm. He's got, I don't know how many, wait, let's see, he's got 90, you know, he's got like, oh, 56 of these camps now around the world. Wow. Where they're teaching people ecosystem restoration. They're restoring the land there and creating this base infrastructure for restoration. So this is, and we'll have some more people. This is, let's see, three, six, nine, 12. This is 15. So we'll have, we have five more people that we're, we're, we're like, you know, trying to get them to, you know, 
fill out the form and say when they're going right. <laughs> to, so we can have them. But, but basically, I mean, when you think about the body of knowledge mm -hmm. that is just present in the people we already have in the conference, like this is world changing. It is. You know, yeah. That's why I wanted to get to you. I just saw your intro video maybe 10 days ago. And it's like, man, I got to get Andrew on to share this because it's so important. One of the things that I notice is a lot of the people are speaking on landscape level, you know, large projects. Is this also going to be valuable for somebody that has a quarter acre in Phoenix? Yeah. I mean, there's going to be urban, you know, I think different people are going to kind of mention the urban level in their talks. Mm -hmm. I think most of these people's talks in my guesstimation are going to be pretty holistic. Uh, okay. um, yeah. So covering, so, and you mean, you mean covering a lot of bases? Covering so, a lot of bases. Yeah. 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 However, no, but it's, it's true. When I'm looking, I'm like, we don't necessarily have a person here that is like the urban specialist. So that's actually, that's a good observation. And that's mm -hmm. something that, well, I don't know what I'm going to talk about for this. I could talk uh, about urban permaculture actually. So, go. yeah. So, so that's, thank you for that. I yep. will make my talk specifically about urban and I'm going to ask Raleigh, as far as the other speakers we have lined up, is if we have another, an urban focused person. Yeah, because yeah. even, well, and I'm rural now too, but I have yeah. small water harvesting projects to do on the property. Like, you know, in July, we got seven inches of rain. I have a 2,200 square foot house with a roof. That's a lot of water coming off of that roof. What do I do with it? Yeah. So even at that level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm on a third of an acre here mm -hmm. in, in Oregon. We have both ends of the spectrum. We have extreme rains, especially in the wintertime, yep. sometimes in the spring, like this spring. And then we have extreme drought in the summer. So, you know, you kind of have to manage it on the flood and the drought level here. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. What inspired you to do, and I know we've touched on this a little bit, but what inspired you to do this? Like, what's your big why on this? Like this project? particular conference? Yeah. I mean, I would say that it's about, I mean, I mean, primarily we have a very narrow window here in the world in which to make some serious changes. And I feel like there are the, the information of how we can fix so many of the problems on our planet. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's out there. Like we've already figured out. So like we know how to restore ecosystems. We know how to regenerate water tables. We know how to do urban, you know, sustainable and resilient urban systems. Like we know all this stuff. And, but there's an information access issue, right? There's, there's a lot of people out there that if they just had some really good information that they would act on it. And some of the, you know, like I don't see a lot of movement in the big, in the governments of the world. Like, like we need a people, like people powered climate change resilience movement mm -hmm. is the, in my opinion, it's one of, you know, the best things that we have going for us right now. And so I'm trying to stimulate that. I'm trying to stimulate people to have the information and have the inspiration to take action in their own lives, in their own yards or farms or wherever it is they live, their balcony, you know, their balcony of their apartment, wherever it is you live, you know, we need to start changing this thing. And like, we can't rely on the powers that be to do this at this point, because we're too right. controlled by money. 
And, you know, we need to bring the heart back into this and we need to bring the action back into this. And so that's really like when I like at a base level, it's like, how can we spark the, you know, the real revolution in a sense is like the revolution where people are evolving themselves and their environments simultaneously and, and bringing heaven on earth, you know, creating the paradise that like, like this planet, like could be a paradise for all humans and species. Like we, 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 we figured out pretty much how to do that, you know? And that's, I mean, in in my opinion, like that's, it's our best chance, Yeah. you know, at this point. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's our best chance. It's our best chance. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe like, you know, maybe it starts bottom up. I don't know. And again, like I'm almost like not even attached. I'm like, Hey, do I know how the future is supposed to go? Like, you know, we could all die. I mean, we're all going to die eventually, right. each one of us. But we could, um, like, the the human experiment could fail, right? And looks uh, like looks like it is at this point. Yeah, the human experiment looks like it's failing. And like, regardless of that, like at the end of your life, you know, like, what did you do, right? And I mean, I, I'm I'm not like specifically religious, you know, but I I think about the end of my life, and I think about like you know, the different stories that you hear about what happens, you know, you're walking down the tunnel, or you're reviewing your life, you know, and you know, do you want to, do you want to have regrets? Like, like, how do you feel? Are you like, I did the best I could, mm-hmm. you know, I, I loved my family. Like I loved, I gave to my community. Like I did the very best I could to try to fix the problems I see around me, you know? And so regardless of what's going to happen to humanity, living your best self and like doing what you know is right it's there's there's no point where that's not the thing to do in my opinion. right yeah yeah i uh a few years ago got to that place with my life it's for me i do what i do every day to make sure that i don't have any regrets when i when it's my time to go and yeah. i love what i do and that's what i'm committed to yeah and and it's healing i mean yeah. like restoring natural forces, (laughs) growing plants, like planting trees, like watching soil develop, like it's healing. Like it can actually heal the traumas that, you know, that we have. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Well, I'm going to shift on you. And as a returning guest, I'd like you to share about a vivid childhood memory around food. Yeah. Well, I grew up in the city in Philadelphia. And, you know, my mom grew tomatoes and stuff, but we didn't like really have, there wasn't a lot of gardening in my life. We would go, I think it was called Ziglerville, outside of Philadelphia, out in Pennsylvania somewhere, we'd go apple picking. Uh-huh. And they had these big orchards and you go, and I remember like going there and like climbing up and, you know, climbing up in the orchard ladder and just being like in this tree canopy, just surrounded by apples. Nice. Being like, whoa. I mean, I just remember it's like a very visceral memory for me is like mm-hmm. like you know picking these apples and just having apples everywhere and like as a I mean I might have been like six years old I don't know when you know we'd go and then you buy maybe pick apples and then I don't know if they do the cider for you or you buy cider and it was like this connection that you know otherwise it wasn't something that I was like grew up with and so I would say that would be my yeah. a vivid transformative memory as a child nice yeah, yeah. it's the, they stay with us don't they yeah they do and what piece of advice might you have for our listeners today? Yeah. So 
I get asked a lot by people who are like seeking a career. They're trying to, you know, because I, I work at a university. So a lot of young people will talk to me about, you know, what should I do with my life? And, you know, how can I like do good work? And, but I find that a lot of people end up getting sort of stuck because they, they like, oh, I want to make money or they have particular they have particular desires like stability and, you know, you want to have a family. Like that's very natural, of course, but right. like they don't think through like, what am I doing all day going on the current, on the current trajectory I'm going on? What is that actually, where does that actually lead me to how I am spending my time every day? And so my advice to people oftentimes, as I say, think backwards, first off, visualize like, like what is your perfect day look like? Like work-wise, you know, yeah. Like, what does your work day look like? Like, are you outside? You know, are you like communicating with other people? Are you just sitting, are you like focused and like kind of isolated, you know, cause, and, and then work, you know, figure out like, what is your ideal, just like way you want to be in a day and then work backwards and think about what sort of work that you can do that actually will take you to that point because i see people they're like i want to be a landscape architect this is a good example yeah they want to be a landscape architect because they like love landscapes and they love mm -hmm. like trees and being outside but their actual career trajectory has them sitting in front of a computer all day doing autocad <laughs> you know and they're like right. this isn't what i signed up for i wanted to be a landscape architect because i love nature you know so it's like I've had a lot of people in my life, older people say to me, you know, I wish I would have worked for the forest service and spent 50 years in the woods mm. instead of 50 years in front of a computer. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that's my advice to people. It's like, think backwards. Like, how do you actually want to spend your time and then adjust your career trajectory to align with that? Because maybe you want to be, maybe actually you should like be a farmer. You know, like you really want to be outside where, well, actually that's an, you know, cultivation, some sort of niche farming activity is like a great way to spend your days and maybe spending your, maybe you can make a lot of money. Maybe, I don't know. But I also found, I say one more thing is that, um, and maybe this is obvious, but I guess like it just needs to be said, spending time with your family and like the richest of life is like, it's more important than money. Yep. It's better to not have as much money as you would like to and have the quality time with your family. I mean, I definitely chose that path, you know, because your kids grow up, like as you go on, you're like, wow. And like, if you didn't have that quality, like it's more important than your bank account. It really is, you know, like money is like, and you know, sustenance and supporting your family is like, like certainly important, like, especially, you know, I'm a householder, you know, like my age, like I'm 48 years old. Like this is like the types of things that happen when you have children, like you want to support them and all that stuff. But like, it's not number one. You know, like it's, it's like, what's number one, really? Like number one is like yeah. love, you know, family and like enjoying every day, enjoying, yeah. Enjoying your time. Like, don't miss that. Don't miss out on that. Yeah. One of the big reasons I do this podcast is to bring stories of what people are doing that they love in their yard and garden to inspire people to get out of those jobs that they, that aren't nurturing them, that aren't supporting them. Maybe they hate their job. Yeah. So that's the reason I put this stuff out. Yeah. I love it. Great. Yay. And I, and I want to say, Greg, that I've known you for a long time. I used to bring my students from Prescott College down mm -hmm. toward your farm down in Central Phoenix. Yep. In Central Phoenix, probably 20 years ago yep. or thereabouts. And um, I I just really have always respected what you do and always really wow. appreciate talking to you and, you know, just really happy that you exist and 
Thank you. Keep on, my rock heart. on, right? Woo, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Andrew. You're welcome. So how do people get a hold of you? Where do they find your YouTube channel? And how do we sign up for this summit? Yeah. So the summit is permaculturesummit.online. Okay. Easy. Permaculturesummit.online. And you'll see register now buttons right there. My YouTube channel is my name, Andrew Millison, M-I-L-L-I-S-O-N. You can also go to andrewmillison.com is my website. And there you have link. You could, I have contact information there and you have links to all the different things I do, including the Oregon State University. I mean, honestly, if you just Google Oregon State University permaculture, you'll come up with our programs. Nice. Um, there's different, web, there's all sorts of different websites that you can find in there, but we have non-credit programs. Yeah, I'd say between OSU, YouTube, my personal website, that's pretty much the triumvirate of my presence there. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash PC water. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.